What's up, guys? Before we get going today, I want to remind you, the podcast brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Glad you asked. I don't actually have to tell you today. We've got Skybox NASCAR guru Mark Harris on to explain NASCAR to me like I'm four, Talladega, how he got into racing, what he looks for on a week-to-week basis, how that's changed since COVID. I found this to be a fascinating conversation. Uh, I feel like I learned more about NASCAR. In fact, after this happened, this recording last night, I started the Formula One doc, which has absolutely nothing to do with NASCAR, but it was a, uh, it was a big racing night at the, uh, at the Casa last night. So I appreciate Mark coming on. Hopefully you'll find this interesting if you're trying to learn a little bit more about NASCAR. Maybe you're dabbling in uh, the idea of wagering on it. Mark knows his stuff. I would recommend going and following him at Skybox NASCAR, all one word, S-K-Y-B-O-X NASCAR. If you don't know how to spell NASCAR, I'd encourage you to look that up. Maybe go back to school. But anyway, check them out. They're beyond NASCAR as well. They've got baseball over-unders. They've got baseball spreads. They're uh, cooking up this summer through the golf season. You need to go check them out. Use the promo code RIPPY. You get 20% off. I've been looking forward to this. I've been teasing it for a while. I appreciate uh, Mark's time. But before we get into his interview, I want to remind you, the podcast also brought to you by LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Go see Greg. He'll hook you up. If you're a subscriber to the Rippy Rights newsletter, you're getting a 16-ounce prime strip for 10 bucks right now. Hopefully, you cap- cashed in on the free Swayze, or excuse me, free ribeye sausage in the past. Uh, Greg's got some new deals involving grill packs around the corner, so stay tuned to that. All you have to do is go to rippyrights.substack.com and put in your email, and you'll get all uh, all the newsletters that I send out and free meats, which is probably the better half of the deal there. So. Check him out, LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. I'm fired up about this conversation. We'll probably hold off any Ole Miss baseball thoughts uh, until Colin and I either do a Thursday or Friday show. I know they beat Little Rock in the midweek last night. I'll write about it in the newsletter. But uh, this is going to be strictly an Explain It to Rippy NASCAR podcast. Let's go. Rippy writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. All right, we now welcome on Mark Harris, Skybox Sports Picks NASCAR guru. Is that an official title? I'm just going to pretty much label that anyway. Um, we've been teasing this for a while. I told Rob I wanted to get you on. I got I was fascinated by your Twitter account, which is uh, make sure I have this right. Skybox NASCAR all one word at Skybox NASCAR. But ever since, you know, we've kind of partnered up, I've been kind of fascinated by the NASCAR element of things because as someone who used to cover sports full-time for a living, it's kind of weird watching a sport where I don't have a clue what is going on or any of the rules. So I kind of, it was kind of a fun game I played for a month there trying to figure it out. I, uh, I appreciate you joining me. What's up, man? Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, you're, I will say I'm going to start off by saying you're not alone. Uh, a lot of people, NASCAR is a foreign uh, concept to them, not necessarily the name, um, but like the actual rules and how it goes down. Uh, so that's normal. Um, and I get I still get that with my roommates. You know, I still got to explain just about everything. Um, but yeah, man, I'm excited. I, I love being on Twitter. Twitter is my favorite social media. Um, and, you know, having my account the way it is, I can kind of, you know, freely speak on whatever I want most 95% of it's NASCAR. Um, but yeah, it, it kind of gives me a little outlet to go and, uh, and I have a lot of fun doing it. So former college football player played at West Florida. Is that correct? That is correct. 
so how does a former uh, – you mentioned at one time offensive lineman. I know kind of moved around after that. How does a uh, former offensive lineman get into NASCAR and then NASCAR wagering? So it all – my NASCAR fandom started all before football. Okay. Uh, I was probably seven or eight years old. My dad – I'm from Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, my dad took me down to Daytona uh, for one of the NASCAR races, and I absolutely fell in love with it. Um, I was always kind of that weird kid. Like, I, I, I was always in the sports crowd, right? But I was always looked at as, like, kind of the weirder kid. Like, oh, he likes NASCAR. Um, and I kind of – I wasn't prideful of it then. Um, and then when I actually – you know, I was kind of a closet fan. I would watch it on TV. I'd go to the races with my family, whatever. Um, and then in college, I was introduced to Talladega, uh, which is one of the biggest party uh, scenes you could see on this side of Mississippi. Um, there's like 150,000, 200,000 people. Um, just a big party. And I would say less than half actually go for the NASCAR. But that was kind of that kind of opened my world to, OK, this is accepted. This is a lot of fun, um, you know, and then and then probably towards the end of college, I was like, wow, you can gamble on NASCAR. That is crazy to me. Um, so then I, I, I was, you know, doing it, you know, five, 10 bucks here and there. And I was like, wow, this is a lot of fun. You know, I'd, I'd pick an outright winner and it'd be like 150 bucks. I'm like, damn, this is, this is a lot of fun. Um, and then about, about a year ago, I was like, I started, I made a Twitter account and I was like, you know what, I'm just going to start firing my picks and see if I get any traction. So, when you're playing college football, like how many of your teammates are NASCAR fans or are you a bird of one there? Um, so actually a couple other of my O-lineman buddies liked NASCAR. So Pensacola is in a place where they call Florabama. Yeah. Um, there is a heavy Alabama presence there. Um, and if anybody knows anything about Alabama, there's the Talladega, like I just mentioned, big NASCAR following. Um and so I would say there was probably three to four of us out of a 120-man roster that, that had ever been to a NASCAR race. Um, so, yeah, I probably stuck out a little bit, but, you know, we made it work. All right, so now you, you took me through kind of how you, you figured out NASCAR. You were a fan a while, and you're like, oh, you can gamble on this. This is pretty awesome. How do you go from being a novice gambler on NASCAR to a handicapper with Rob at Skybox? So I kind of lucked out with Rob. Um, so we're in a big gambling group, me. Uh, well, that's what we call it. Um, Chris, shout out Chris Thompson fan club. Um, so it all started with Stu Finer. I'm sure you've heard. Um, yeah. he, we all made this group, me. We all threw in some money. We bought him. Um, and then, you know, that kind of ran its, ran its course. And then uh, everyone started throwing in cappers. We would, um, we would buy other cappers and then, you know, once I started really tweeting about my picks, I was like, you know what? Why don't I just throw my picks in there? Um, and I started winning a little bit. And then Rob had already had a full website, you know, a pretty good Twitter following. Um, and he's like, why don't, why don't we just throw up your package on the website um, and we'll just rebrand your Twitter account to Skybox? I'm like, yeah, hell yeah, I'm in. At what point, though, so it, what you, once you started betting on it, there had to be a point where – it went from just like any other schmuck like me or anyone else listening to this where you're just pretty much delaying the inevitable where you're going to lose to, oh, I'm pretty good at this, and oh, I could actually, like you said, sell these picks and, and kind of actually do this, um, not for a living, but for a side job, and like people actually want to pay for it. Like at what point did you kind of cross that threshold? At what point did you know this was something you were actually good at? Because very few people are good at gambling. 
Right. No. And um, I will say I am not a good gambler. Um, that being outside of NASCAR and even in NASCAR, sometimes I, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll nail down and I'll, I'll answer your question, but I'll nail down uh, my core picks and my core leans and sides that I really think have value. Um, and then later on in the week or, or early in the week, I'll make some bets. And I'm like, why did I even, that was so dumb. Why did I do that? Um, but I, I would say probably uh, the summer of last year, um, I started, sorry, I'm getting a call. So, um, the summer of last year, uh, I hit a couple big winners. I couldn't remember what they were, but I sent them in the group me and a couple people took them. And then a couple people started asking about them. Like, yo, can you send your NASCAR picks? And I'm like, sure. Yeah, that's no problem. Um, so that was probably the first time that like when people wanted it, when people reached out to me and were like, yo, what do you have this weekend? I think that was probably the time where I was like, okay, maybe I could go somewhere with this. I still have a long way to go, but you know, I think, I think we could do something with this. So your NASCAR fandom starts when you're a young kid. What, uh, like, I, this is a subjective question. It might be kind of a bad question, but like, you know, I remember being a kid and like going to a baseball game and being like, wow, this is awesome. Like, what do you remember about being a young kid and like NASCAR drawing you in? So ha I got to ask you this. Have you ever been to a NASCAR race? No, I haven't, but it's not for a, uh, it's not for a lack of trying. I actually had tentative plans to go to Talladega in once in college and then once in 2019. But Talladega, the, at least the April version of it, being in the uh, heart of college baseball season when I was working as a reporter was quite the problem. So I couldn't right. weekends work out, but uh, no, never been, but it's on a bucket list. I'll put it that way. Okay, so I would – I tell everybody, anybody that is hesitant or, like, hates on it, I, I tell them, you got to go. You got to go witness it. Um, and I'm going somewhere with this. So when I was a little kid, you know, seven, eight years old, and you hear those cars go around the track, it is like nothing else you've ever seen or heard before in your life. Like, you can't hear a single thing that's going on in the world, I mean, beside you or anywhere – besides those cars that go by and it's a, it's a it's an adrenaline rush like no other and so i was like you know my seven eight seven year old self was like wow i want to go see those cars go fast so then i don't know i was probably 13 14 15 i you know i got a favorite driver and i started following them and social media um so then i would say probably you know middle school i really started following it and keeping up with drivers and um yeah, man, it's uh, I, 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 I have to hone in on this for everybody listening. You, if you have not been to a NASCAR race, you have to go. Like watching on TV, I must say, as a diehard fan um, and someone who analyzes every angle of it, it is kind of boring on TV sometimes. Uh, they get you know stretched out and uh, and and it's not just the the product on the track, but like at Talladega, it's, it's one of the biggest parties and, you know, 200,000 people are there. Um, just the total atmosphere the whole weekend. Uh, there's literally no rules. It's like, don't get in fights and don't do hard drugs. That's literally it. Um, so yeah. I imagine those two might be hard to abide by at times too, but just a guess from what I heard from buddies. Yeah. <laughs> It does sound like a party. It is definitely on my bucket list to go. I had a couple of friends from Mississippi State who kind of made it like a yearly pilgrimage um, to go every year. And I'd always get jealous once they got there because once you actually make the trip and get down there, 
kind of get settled. It, it seems like well worth your time. So, I, so now kind of transitioning into it, I still, this summer you mentioned during COVID, you know, NASCAR and like even the iRacing at the beginning, it was one of the first to come back. It was one of the first things on. I kind of tried to pick up on it this summer. A couple guys I live with, we, we kind of did the same thing, at least tried to pick up on it. And I would say we got a very, very outside uh, uh, understanding of how the sport works. So I don't even – correct me if I'm starting in the wrong place, but generally season February to November, you start in the playoffs at the fall that goes from 16 to 12 to 8. What's the NASCAR season like in the sense – like how many races are there on the NASCAR schedule? So there's 38 races, uh, 36 of which count towards points. So there's like a – there's a preseason race, which is down in Daytona, um, and there's an all-star race. So there, there's a lot, and there's a there's a, a series of playoffs. So there's a lot of similarities to other sports, um, and there's also in those similarities a ton of differences. Um, so the first 26 races are all regular season, um, and the way that NASCAR has structured their point system is so complex. Like sometimes I have to look it up, and I'm like, okay, that's why you got this amount of points, not this amount of points. Um, Basically, if you win a race, you're locked into the playoffs. So you have 26 tries. Uh, if you win, you're in. Um, and so however many wins you have is how you'll get seated. Um, and you can also – so, you know, one through 16. Um, and then if there's not 16 winners, then the, however many are left um, that are not winners will get there in on points. So the way you gain points is uh, there's typically around 40 cars uh, in a field. If you've been at first – you get 40 points, uh, finish last, you get one point. Um, and then there's also stage breaks within the race, which is basically like a, a quarter almost in football or, or a series of innings in baseball. Um, and so they will give out points for the top 10 in each stage. So there's three stages in a race. Uh, so if you win the stage, you get an extra 10 points. Um, so there's a lot, there's a lot that goes into the point system. Um, I'm leaving out a lot of stuff just because it's so complex whatever. Um, but yeah, once you get to the playoffs, uh, there's, there's three races per round. So nine. And then the final race is the championship and it goes from 16, 12, eight. And then the final race is basically a mad dash to the finish with four guys. Um, so they all start on an even playing field and whoever finishes higher of the four in that race wins the championship. Um, so, you know, in football, you can, you have your favorites. Um, you know, they could always lose. They could get upset. Um, same thing in NASCAR. Um, but once you get to the Super Bowl, you know, it's mano a mano. And you, you, you kind of think who's going to win, who's the better team, but you don't really know. Um, in NASCAR, there is literally a 25% chance that you're going to win. Like, if you, you have to beat those other three guys. Meanwhile, the other 36 are also racing at the same time. So that's what kind of sets NASCAR separate from other sports. Um, and so I kind of, I compare it to golf a lot. Um, so all the gambling is pretty much the same. Um, but the way the playoffs work with like the FedEx cup, um, the rest of the field and correct me if I'm wrong, I'm pretty sure the rest of the field still competes, right. Just up until the very end. Yeah. So they'll cut it down. They'll get to the playoffs. They'll cut it down from 125 to 170. They left out one of them. It used to be like 50 or something. Now it's like down at 30. When you get to the finals, it's just 30. But to your point, the field's a lot larger despite everything. Right. right. So same kind of concept. Um, however, NASCAR, the entire field runs all 36-point races plus the two. 
exhibition races. Um, so I think that's pretty neat. You know, if you have a team, uh, let's like, I'm a Jaguars fan. Um, if we, we're not going to make it to the playoffs, that's the reality of it. But let's say we get to the playoffs. Sorry, we're out in the, in the wild card round. Well, in NASCAR, my favorite driver, he's going to race no matter what. So no matter what track I go to, no matter what race I go to, he's going to be racing. Now, if it's in the playoffs or not, you know, that's up to debate or that's up to how he performs. Um, but you know that you're going to go see your favorite driver and your favorite team. That makes sense. So taking you back to something you said a second ago, if you win, you're in the playoffs. There's 26 races, 16 playoff spots. Is it is it too much of an outlier to expect like their beat to be more than 16 winners? How does that work if that happens? So there's, I don't believe there's ever been more than 16 winners. Um, yeah, last year, I want to say there was maybe 12, 13. Um, so last year, the champion, uh, damn, who was the champion last year? Oh, Chase Elliott. So he didn't win a race until like halfway through the season. Um, but then you guys, you got guys like Kevin Harvick who won nine races out of the 20 or out of the 36. That was the whole season. Um, so you have this year where we've had eight different winners in nine different races in nine races. So we're probably not going to have a nine time winner this year, which is pretty cool. Um, given that they've never had anybody or there's been never been one season where there's been drivers. So last year, guys like Kevin Harvick, so he won nine races last year. He didn't win the championship, which is cool in my opinion. Um, but it also doesn't reward him winning nine races. Um, so yeah, there's never been, uh, more than 16 winners in any NASCAR season. I could be wrong, but definitely not in the last 20, 25 years or so. Um, but I, I want it to happen just to see what would happen because they would have to dig deep, deep in the rule book to find out what they're going to do if there's more than 16 winners. So you're saying there's probably not going to be more than 16 winners, even though you've got eight out of nine races. Right. That's got to be something about, like, there, there's just kind of a guaranteed top heaviness to the sport. I know there's only 40, like, looks like there's 42 dudes even qualifying for the standing. So, like, there's just kind of an assumed top-heavy nature to the sport. Yeah, so it's all money-driven, all sponsorship-driven. Um, so, give or take a couple, there's, you know, 40 guys every week. Um, I would say the top 10 have a legitimate shot. Um, the next five to seven something's got to go their way for them to be able to win. And then the bottom 20 is uh, you're going to need a lot of help to win, uh, which is very unre unrealistic. Um, the, the guys that you hear the names, the Kevin Hardricks, the Denny Hamlins, Kyle Busch, um, guys that are retired, Jimmy Johnson, Jeff Gordon, Dale Jr., they all had, you know, sponsorship money. It may not be their money, but it's some company, some organizations backing them. Um, and there, you could say that more money equals more power, more speed. Um, there's people that argue that. However, that is definitely my viewpoint. Uh, if you have the money, you will be fast. Um, and that's just kind of the way NASCAR is nowadays. So that's interesting you, you say that because I'm, I kind of caught on to that because, you know, I, even just a novice, I'm looking through the standings so far this year, and even I recognize you know, the majority of these names. Kind of taking it kind of more further out view, how do you like qualify? Like, what's the, you know, the PGA, you talk about something complicated. 
trying to figure out someone's status on the PGA Tour, the Corn Ferry Tour, whatever the hell it is. I mean, a buddy of mine won on Corn Ferry a couple a couple months ago, and he had to go to Canada and all that shit before that. Like, it, it's tough. How, like, what's, like, the feeder system into this NASCAR series? Because best I can tell, there's only 42 guys that have even registered a point. How does that work? So, yeah, the 42 guys sounds right. Um, there's You got the NASCAR Cup Series, which is what mainly what we're talking about, the names we're throwing out. Um, and then you have the – we're going down. So you have the NASCAR Xfinity Series, which is basically like AAA in baseball. Right. Um, this is definitely the best way to explain it is baseball with the tier system. Um, so once you get past Xfinity, you get to the truck series, mm-hmm. um, which is like double A. Um, and then those are, and then there's the ARCA series, which is like the 15, 16, 17 year olds. Um, and then once you, those are the four NASCAR sanctioned series. So there's basically a four, uh, step system, feeder system. Um, once you get below that, it's all your local short tracks, um, which are, I have no idea who they're sanctioned by. They may not even be sanctioned. They kind of put on their own deal. Um, you got dirt tracks and all sorts of different cars that race there. Um, on pavement, you got super late models, late models, pro late model, whatever, a bunch of late models. Um, so, you know, then you below that with like the young kids, you got go-kart racing. Um, so if you took everything I just said and inverted it, so go-karts, uh, dirt, pavement, you know, local short track, then you can get up to ARCA, trucks, Xfinity Cup. Not everybody does it that way. Um, like I, I mean, you have to have qualifications. Um, and it's actually in the news right now. There's a girl named Jennifer Jo Cobb. Um, she's probably in her mid-30s, mid to late 30s. Um, she has been racing in the truck series, which is the third series down for 10 years, 12 years. I saw this story yesterday pop up, probably because of you, honestly. I was looking on the internet. I probably saw this. Might have been. Yeah, so um, it's very gray right now. So um, she was denied access to race at Talladega this weekend uh, because of her performance and um, qualifications, I guess. Um, and there's people have been raising arms about this because uh, they always – related back to Derek Cope. So Derek Cope's like 65, 70 should not be racing a car 200 miles an hour. Um, but they, NASCAR allowed. Yeah, no, he's old. He's definitely in his sixties. Yeah. It's definitely dangerous. Well, they NASCAR allowed him to race in the Daytona 500 this year. Um, he hadn't competed at Daytona since like 2003, I think I heard. Um, but they allowed him to race. But then you have Jennifer Jo Cobb, who's been racing the last 10 years in the truck series. Now, she doesn't have good equipment. She finishes very low in the totem pole. Um, but she has the experience. She's raced on Talladega twice a year for the last 10 years. Why would you not allow her to race and you would allow Derek Cope to race, who hasn't raced on that track in 17 years? Which, So that's it, it's interesting that you say that about golf. Uh, it's kind of the same in NASCAR. Um, it's kind of a pick-and-choose basis. Um, and that's definitely the news right now about them figuring out how to have a legitimate qualification, uh, deal. So there's no, is there a set point system in which you can move up? Like, so, so it's just kind of like, like, how do you, what's the qual? like, how do you get into the field for the NASCAR sprint cup series as one of those 42? Is it just a selection basis? How does that work? Yeah. So now we got to revert back to baseball. Um, so while most baseball players, if not all start in the minor leagues, no no matter how long they spend there, 
um, that, that GM or, or that owner or, or whoever that front office can say, okay, I want, I want to take that guy from double a up to the MLB and he's going to be in our rotation. Um, kind of the same thing in NASCAR. If there's a NASCAR owner that says, I want that guy, you know, he's maybe 20 years old, but he's got a, he's got sponsorship. He's got a bright future. You know, he's been racing well. I want that guy. They, they can take him straight from the truck series, skip the Xfinity series, go straight to the cup series. Okay, that makes sense. So basically the difference here is is when some like, you know, they pull up Ronald Acuna from Atlanta from Mississippi or whatever, you're saying that MLB, this being NASCAR, would have the power to be like, actually she can't race depending on I mean, it's a terrible example, but Acuna's glove bat, like basically equipment type stuff. Yeah. So um yes and no. Um baseball since they're in it would be like the MLB saying yeah it'd be like the MLB saying Acuna sorry uh you're not good enough yet um even though your team thinks so we don't think you're ready so it's kind of like the sanctioning body having too much involved in my opinion um I think they totally should have let her race uh, but on the flip side I also think that there definitely needs to be a qualification system um, to say, okay, you've checked this box, that box, and that box. Okay, now you're you have the opportunity to race in the Cup Series. That would seem like a more uniform way of doing things. And I mean, hell, like NASCAR's got to not. I mean, NASCAR, there's no way it's the most or anywhere close to the most disorganized sport. I mean, hell, in, I mean, you played under the NCAA umbrella. It, it's it's definitely, <laughs> but it it wouldn't make sense. So basically, what you're telling me, like trying to make it to the top level of NASCAR, one you got to be really good, and one you got to be lucky. Let's start on that side. Like what? So, how many ownership groups would you say are in the NASCAR umbrella? And then on top of that, what do they look for in talent? So, I would say there's um, maybe ten, eight to ten different ownership groups. Um, maybe four to five uh, that actually have a chance. Um, these good teams have three to four drivers per team. So let's use uh, Joe Gibbs Racing, for example. Denny Hamlin, Martin Truex Jr., Kyle Busch, and uh, Christopher Bell. So all four of those guys are under the same ownership group, same team, quote-unquote, but they're still competing against each other every, day, every week on the track. Um, once you get down to the underfunded guys, kind of the 25, 20th, 25th, and lower – um, you'll see one and two car teams just because they don't have the funding to make a four car team. Um, and then, yeah, you definitely have to get lucky. Um, you have to be lucky and good though. Uh, whatever they say about when opportunity meets luck or whatever, that's kind of the, the way it goes. Um, obviously it helps greatly if you have funding, uh, sponsorship, um, like Noah Gregson, he's in the Xfinity series. Um, a lot of people hate him. A lot of people love him. I love him. He's kind of like the Kyle Busch. He's like the young Kyle Busch. You know, people are F Kyle Busch. Well, I kind of like Kyle Busch. Um, but his dad is a well-known lawyer in the Vegas area. And Noah's dream as a kid was to be a NASCAR driver. And so his dad obviously helped him and funded him up through the lower ranks until he could get his own sponsorship. Um, so that obviously helps. Um, but then, you know, there's a guy named Josh Berry, also in the Xfinity Series, who has zero funding zero sponsorship with him um he's been on the late model tour for i don't know how long maybe 10 years 12 years um but dale jr saw him race one day and was like i really like that guy i want him to race my xfinity car 
So Dale Jr. then took the sponsorship, put it on the car, and had Josh drive it. So you definitely got to get lucky. Um, but if you're good enough, they'll come find you. And uh, back to your question about, you know, there's only 42 guys in the Cup Series. So think that's, that's less than one NFL roster. Um, that's less than half of a NCAA football team. Um, so to be a driver in the cup series, you have to be really, really, really good. And that's what I would compare to golf, right? You know, there's a hundred to 150. I don't even know how many per week. Um, but you have to be the best of the best, right? The, you know, sure. No, that makes perfect sense is so when they get, so when someone get, gets an opportunity and they kind of can join, like you mentioned, that example where he just kind of picked that guy out. Does the team around him get better? Like, does his pit crew get more talented? Or how common is it to kind of stick with your guys? Yeah, so um, I do know that his late model team did not move up with him to the Xfinity Series um, just because they said that he brought him to the race. Um, but when you get to a team that Dale Jr. owns, he's going to have the cream of the crop. He's going to have the top guys. Um, so he'll go and pick that driver out and then – you know, the team owner will typically provide the pit crew, the crew chief, um, and all the guys that work on the car. That makes sense. So it's almost like – not almost like – it's similar to horse racing in the sense to where it's hard to break into from an ownership standpoint, and you got to be really well-funded, and you got to have some money to throw around to kind of break in. Like, last thing I'll ask you before we kind of get to the handicapping aspect of it, like, how like how common is it for a new team to kind of emerge? Because you mentioned it's 10, but – you know, Joe Gibbs, I know a couple of the other, if you kind of rattled them off, like how much does that change up or has it kind of been the same 10-ish for, for quite a while? So NASCAR is a very, very expensive sport. Um, it is very tough to get into. Um, they say that it takes about $30 million to run one car for a whole season and be competitive. Um, Joe Gibbs is, is, is dropping, you know, $120 million just to fund his four cars. Um, so yeah, in, in that aspect, and I never thought about that. It is similar to horse racing where you gotta, you gotta have money to make money. Uh, you also gotta have money just to get in the sport, no matter if you're at the top or the bottom. I mean, you're still talking, you're still talking eight figures, uh, even if you're the lowest funded team. Wow. So those, that was the, I, I lied. I have one more question. Cause I was looking at the standings. So, you know, you got, Oh, shoot. I just pulled it up and I missed it. Let me see. This is great podcasting. Hold on. <laughs> okay. So you had, was it Denny Hamlin who's currently leading? Did I just make that up? No, that's correct. He is on fire right now. So he's at 400 plus points and there's three or four dudes at the bottom with one. Is that just someone they've tried out and they haven't made it? Like what's the bottom of the standings look like? Like take me through like how so, that kind of is under fire. So go, go like – to like 35th, 36th place. How many points do they have? Like 20? Let's see. It's probably got to be somewhere in there because it went from the hundreds pretty quickly. All right, I got the Sprint Cup standings up here. Let's see. All right, you're at the – let's go 32? 32 just randomly. Josh Bilicki, he's at 45 points. Okay, yeah. So, like you said earlier, as you go down, it's it's kind of a, a top-heavy sport. Um, as you go down, it is going to drop off pretty significantly. Um, 
guys like Josh Balicki, Cody Ware, um, James Davison. Um, these guys are trying. They really are. And they're, they're, they're more than likely really good race car drivers. Um, but they don't have the funding to be in top level equipment. Like I said earlier, more money, more speed. Um, so yeah, they'll probably get lapped depending on what track you're at. Like if you're at a mile and a half track, you're going to get lapped in 20 laps. Um, that's no knock to them. They're just driving what they, what they have. Um, as you move up the standings, you got guys like Chase Briscoe, uh, Eric Almarola. They're with Stuart Haas racing, which is the same team that Kevin Harvick's on. Um, they're not doing so well. A little bit of bad luck, a um, little bit of user error. Chase Briscoe's a rookie. Um, so you, you can't really fault him there. Um, but going back to, to kind of getting in the sport and ownership. So Michael Jordan, I don't you've probably seen, he just invested in him and Denny Hamlin invested in a new race team. Um, and obviously he's got the money to do it. Um, but I would say there's probably not a new team that comes into the, the, the series every year. Um, like last year there were two. Um, Michael Jordan. And then there's a guy named Justin Marks who has been around the industry for a long time. And he just decided he wanted to start up a one car team, but um, the new teams do not come every day. Um, it is very difficult to get in. And once you're in, you typically stay in. And then when it's interesting, you see all the logos by these guys names, when you form a team is the second part of that kind of equation, or I say second part, just one of the parts trying to come up with a car uh, manufacturer as well. So it's, it all goes back to connections, partnerships, sponsorships. Um, you know, if, if, you know, Dale Jr. Drove a Chevy for the majority of his career, if not the, his entire career, um, he's going to have a deal with Chevrolet. Um, Joe Gibbs racing when Toyota came in the sport, uh, I believe maybe 2008, 2009, um, Joe Gibbs racing was one of the first teams that branched out and wanted to be Toyota. They wanted to be the new innovative, uh, manufacturer, um, like Roger Penske, he's Ford guy. Um, I, I know that he's got a lot of partnerships with people at Ford. Um, so for however long he's in the sport, he's going to be with Ford. Um, once you get down the ladder a little bit, I, I'm assuming it's the same way where it's all sponsorship partner driven. Um, but yeah, everything has a rhyme or reason, you know, why they're Ford, why they're Chevrolet. Can someone, like, if Joe Gibbs racing, can he have a driver under his umbrella race a different brand of car than another one? That I don't think there's a rule against it, but I have never seen that, and I don't expect to ever see that. That makes sense. All right, yeah. so we've gone through all the basics. I've asked you all the stupid questions. Now <laughs> on a week-to-week -week basis, now that I kind of have a better idea of this, so what are you looking for each week? I just actually, you know what? I'll give you an open-ended one. When you're approaching a race this week, it's Talladega, correct? Yeah, yeah. What's your approach to finding value and what's your kind of approach to kind of gauging the field before it happens? I know there's qualifying and all that stuff that goes into it. Like, what's your week like leading up into this? All right, so I got to backtrack a little bit. So um, with COVID, there's no qualifying in practice. So that really throws a damper on everything um, because that's where a lot of people get their edges. Um, and you know, I'm, when qualifying and practice were around, I was glued. I mean, I was looking at every single driver, every single time, you know, how did they do on the long run versus short run? Um, so I analyzed it kind of like I was a crew chief of a team, obviously not near as in depth. 
Um, but I would kind of see what lines they were running. Um, if they were gaining time running the top side. Okay. And then we, we look at the, um, you know, how the track's going to change as the race goes on. Okay. Are drivers that are driving the top line going to do better or the bottom line going to do better. Um, now Talladega is a very, very difficult track to handicap. Um, same with Daytona. So they're the same track. They used to be called restrictor plate tracks. Um, now they're just super speedways cause they took away restrictor plates. Um, but they all race close together, like, like within inches. Um, so if one guy makes one wrong turn, one gets too close to another guy, I mean, the whole field could be wrecked. What induces that? Why are you racing that close at one track, but not another? All right. So everyone knows Dale Earnhardt senior. Um, he passed away in, in 01. Well, at Daytona, maybe a few years before that, uh, Bill Elliott set the fastest time in a stock car ever. Um, he went like 209 miles an hour, but just by himself. Um, so he probably got up to like, you know, 230, 240, which is just a very unsafe speed. Nice. Uh, and so they, a, a few deaths later, they figured out that, okay, they need to slow the cars down um, drastically. Um, and Daytona and Talladega are, are two and a half, Daytona is two and a half miles around. Talladega is 2.66 miles around. Um, but there's two races on each track every year. Um, and they're my favorite race to watch as a fan, but handicapping it is literally impossible. You have to get so lucky. And so when I'm looking at it from a Talladega or a Daytona perspective, I'm really looking at those long shot winners, like in the Daytona 500, uh, 66 to one won the race. Um, very possible at these big tracks. They say that, and they don't use restrictor plates, but for terms i'm going to use a restrictor plate it slows the car down and at the at and, and all the cars race inches together because that's how they go faster in the draft okay. so if they weren't close together and they weren't you know inches then they wouldn't go fast and so the last 20 years or so that's how they've been racing now people argue that it's maybe not as safe um, people say that it's safer. That's up for debate, but, um, yeah. That's fascinating. So you're going into it this week. So it sounds like it depends on the track and the type of racing that goes on each week is kind of what kind of differs in, in your approach and everything. How many different, this is going to sound stupid. How many different types of racing are there in a typical season? Like is there four different uh, lines or how much is that changing week to week? Yeah, so just about every week it changes. Um, now, you could have a couple short tracks back-to-back -back like we just had. Um, so there are short tracks, which are less than a mile. You have intermediate tracks, which are a, a mile and a half, give or take. Um, you have road courses, which turn left and right. It's pretty self-explanatory. And then you have super speedway racing. Um, it changes every week. Um, they go back to the same tracks, uh, a few of them twice, um, but they don't do it back to back weeks or back to back days. They spread it out through a season. Um, but I want to go back to, let's say, let's just use the most common, which is a mile and a half intermediate track. It's what is most of the tracks are, are intermediate. So when I, without practicing qualifying, when I look into a week, I follow a lot of guys on Twitter, um, that have projection models. Um, based on how they ran last year, 
um, if it was a daytime race, nighttime race, how they race, um, the last night race there was. There's different tire compounds, so air pressures. So uh, Goodyear will bring a certain tire compound, and this guy will put all these metrics together and basically pop out a, a, an algorithm almost. Um, so I look at those. Um, I look at the I look at the lines first. I want to get a feel for what Vegas is, um, you know, setting up for this week and it changes week to week. So it's not like I'm taking the same guys every week. You got to look for that edge. Um, so I don't personally make any projection models or algorithms or anything. I just use that for reference. I use what I have in my brain, my knowledge of NASCAR, um, and then once I get the lines in my hand and I get all that information, then I say, okay, this guy's finishing position at this track with this tire compound is 10 spots above what this guy is, but they're minus 110 against each other. Like that is a huge, that's a lot of value uh, for that disparity. And so those are the kind of things that I start off with are, are head-to-head matchups. Okay. So – so you're betting head-to-head matchups, which is like golf. And you know, I know a lot of guys that bet golf. They think that's actually the most fun way to go about it. What's kind of the most common way you're kind of square is betting NASCAR versus – like is there any differentiation between the way sharps bet and the way kind of novices or squares bet as far as NASCAR? What are the different ways you can kind of do it? Yeah. So uh, when I first started uh, gambling, I was 100% a square. I was going for the long shot wins. Um, I was going, I was trying to pick the outright winner. I didn't really pay attention to props or matchups, anything like that. Um, so the amateur better is going to go for the home run, right? So, you know, you're going to bet on someone that's 20 to one, 30 to one, 40 to one, kind of like you do in golf. They're like I'll throw 50 bucks down and I'll win a, a few grand. Um, so that's one thing that I changed probably halfway through last year I was like why why am I I would put you know two three four guys to win the race damn well knowing that I have a very small chance to hit that right now now my other plays with props head-to-heads top tens stuff like that I would I would win and so I'm like why would I and I, I would even out or I'd win a couple of units or whatever so I was like you know what I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick one guy, maybe two guys per week that I legitimately think have a chance to win. And then I'm just going to up my units on my, on my props and my matchups. Um, and so that's kind of, I think that's more where that separates the average better from the quote unquote sharp is finding the value and chasing the value. Don't, don't chase the big payouts. Um, so there'll be weeks like Bristol dirt was a few weeks ago where I didn't even have a card because I didn't really think that I found anything that was worth betting on. Yeah, that, no, that definitely makes sense. So you mentioned, I find the top 10 part interesting, kind of a two-parter here is top 10 kind of fall in the middle between the long shot of who's going to win the race and the head to head in terms of long odds. And then the second part of that, can you bet stages? Okay. Yeah. So, um, top 10, so you can bet on top three, top five or top 10. Okay. Uh, I, most value in top 10. Um, but top three and top five are more like your long shot winners. Um, you, you're going to, you're going to pay some hefty odds to get to, to have one guy finish better than 35 others. Um, top 10, you can kind of get away with, you know, if someone has a bad race, they can rebound and get in the top 10. So the odds are more, 
uh, even, I guess. But then you're really betting like a seventh best guy to like a 20th best guy. And you're finding, okay, you know, do they run well here? Um, you know, what kind of tire, like I, like I said, all the tire compound stuff. Um, but top 10 is one of my favorite bets just because I don't think Vegas really cares about it. Um, and they obviously, they don't care about matchups either, but we'll go into that later. Um, but you could get a guy that's, you know, one of my favorite guys to bet top 10 is William Byron. He's fourth in the points right now. He's like seven out of the last nine races to start the season. He's finished in the top 10 and he's still like plus 135, plus 140. So I'm going to hop all over that every single week um, until they figure it out. And that's one thing that I've definitely noticed is I don't think Vegas really pays attention to NASCAR. That's not the outright winners. Like all the other stuff that they put out, I, I just, I, I'll look at a line and I'm like, how does this even make sense? They're so dumb for putting this out, but that's where I get my, my, my value from. So it's interesting kind of, kind of putting all this together and everything we've talked about for the last 45 minutes or so it, it's really just kind of the minutia of it. Right. Because it's, it's different in golf in the sense that like, I think I follow golf probably closer than I would say 85% of people, but you'll still have some guy end up with the top 25, top 10 on tour where it's like, who is this asshole? I've never heard of this guy ever to where this is a little bit different in the sense it's, you know, who's racing every week, you know, exactly who they are. It's kind of finding the minutia in the track, the restrictor plate, everything, the style of everything and trying to find value amongst each other, as opposed to kind of trying to find long shots for the week. Yeah. So I would definitely say that golf top tens are way longer golf, uh, long shot. Um, I mean, it's a one in, 40 chance NASCAR or 10 and 40, however, I don't know how to look at it. one and four, whatever. Um, but in golf, you know, you have 150 guys out there, 130 guys. I mean, getting a top 10 is very, very difficult. Getting a top 10 in NASCAR for a, you know, a middle to underfunded team is not that unheard of. And it's a hell of a lot better than betting them to win the race at, you know, right. 80 to. Um, so top 10 is definitely a, 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 a value play, but I wouldn't consider it a long shot play. I got you. That makes sense. So if you're, uh, like if someone was like gun to your head, like if you're having to only bet one style in a week, like what do you feel most confident in? It sounds like it's head to head. Yeah. Matchups, definitely head to head matchups. Um, there, and I noticed this a lot on offshore sites. Um, and that's what I would say the majority of America is betting on. Um, some of the matchups are just so backwards. Um, and that's where I find most of the value. Um, there's also props, um, like in golf, you'll have like the big eight to win. So NASCAR, you'll have like the big four to win. And per, you know, depending on the track, there's probably a very good chance that those, one of those four is going to win. Um, it doesn't get released every week, but that's also one of my favorite bets when it does get released. Um, and yeah, I mean, head-to-head matchups are my bread and butter. Um, they're my big unit plays, um, and that's definitely where I find the most value. Is it different from? Is it similar, to, or I say different from golf in the sense that, like, you're not seeing the top thirty guys in the world every week? Do dudes take weeks off? Or are you pretty much racing every week? Uh, no, if you're if you're in the top thirty in points, uh, you're racing every week. Uh, there's no rotation. Um, once you get down to the guys, you know, 33rd, 34th and lower, um, some of those 
uh, owners will, you know, sub in a guy, okay, I want to see how you treat the car and how you race compared to this guy. Um, so they'll kind of give some younger guys opportunities. Um, but yeah, you're, you're not, you're not getting any weeks off. Um, NASCAR is built in. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe there might be three or four breaks, uh, Easter. Well now mother's day isn't, um, and just a couple of random weekends, they'll just say, okay, you know, week off here. Um, but man, you are every week besides that. If, if you're in a car, you're, you're racing every week. Which is probably pretty cool from a fan's perspective because it's someone who, like me, who doesn't know anything about NASCAR. I know who Chase Elliott is. I know who Kevin Arg is. I mean, go down the list. I know who Kurt Busch is, Ryan Blaney. I mean, I'm just looking at like some of the odds right now. Like that's probably got to help the sport to some degree where guys are not just kind of going off the grid for a while. It's the same dudes racing each other every weekend. And then I just had a really dumb brain connection. Is that why there's so many fights? Because they get tired of each other? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, probably. Um, and one thing, and I'm going to touch on this real quick, is the fighting. Um, they race each other every week, and they remember that shit. So if you did something the week before, they damn well remember it when they get back on the track. And then if it's if it really escalates, I mean, right after the race on pit road, those are some of the the most entertaining fights because they're so god awful, and they will just start shoving and throwing haymakers. I mean, it, it is a ton of fun to watch. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they're 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 every week they're racing against the same guys. Certain drivers at certain tracks that there's got to be a lean on just history of guys. Yeah, so certain guys perform better at certain tracks. Um, you know, short tracks, one guy will be favored more than he is at other tracks. Um, I guess the biggest disparity that you see is going to be at road courses. Um, there's road course ringers, as they like to call it. Um, and Chase Elliott has won like the last five or five out of the last six uh, on road courses. Um, and his odds will be like, you know, plus 200 plus 250 which is crazy um but but you almost have to take him there because right. he's so that track um but yeah there's definitely certain drivers that are uh better at certain tracks like dale senior used to say that he could see the air on restrictor plate tracks on super speedways and he was very very good at that at those tracks that's interesting so one of the last things i got for a way go is like what is the – I've always been, like, wondered what, like, the pay scale is because it's all about points and stuff. And, you know, golf does that now too, but people are also looking at the money because it used to be the money list. Like, even – we'll start with the underfunded guys. Like, if you're, like, a 35th or 40th on one of these I – mean, in these uh, sprint cup point standings and you're on the top tier, are you still making a pretty good living? Um, yeah. I mean, it's – okay, so let me preface this. Back in like 2018, NASCAR quit releasing their purse and their prize money. Um, Why? Yeah, I, I have no idea. I, I got to be honest, I didn't really look into it. Um, but yeah, so here's actually a an estimation of the total tw 2021 Daytona 500 purse was 23.6 million. That's an estimation. Um, if you finish dead last, you're probably taking home maybe a hundred thousand, a couple hundred thousand. Now that is the biggest purse in on the circuit. Um, if you like next, not this week, but next week is Kansas. Um, you may only run away with, you know, 30 grand, uh, 20 grand. And most of that money goes back to the team, goes back into the car, um, helps get 
faster, you know, more, more durable. Um, if you're, if, you know, season long, if you're a guy in the 35th to 40 range, you're, I mean, you're probably making close to six figures, maybe a little more. Um, now, once you get up to uh, like the Kyle Bushes, the Denny Hamlins, the Kevin Harvicks, I mean, they'll have like, you know, 15, 18 million dollar contracts a year, kind of like, you know, football players, baseball players. Um, and then they'll also have commissions per race. So I didn't even think about it that way. They're signing contracts with their teams on top of what they're winning per race. I never thought about it like that. Yeah. So the, the bigger teams will have uh, the big salaries. Um, some of the mid-tier teams will have salaries. Obviously, they're not $15 million. Um, maybe a million or two. And then, you know, at, when you finish higher, you get, you get paid higher. Um, now, like the All-Star Race, for example, if you win the All-Star Race, you get a check for a million bucks. No ifs, ands, or buts about it boom, straight to your pocket. You get to keep that as the driver. Um, but yeah, man, there, I mean, when Jimmy Johnson won his, however many championships in a row, seven, I think, or he won seven total, he was probably bringing in between sponsorship deals, race winnings and salary, probably close to a hundred million. Wow. That's a, that's wild. So it's yeah. kind of top heavy in that sense too, kind of following along with everything else. Is there a kind of a, so when you have the off season, is there free agency where guys try to sign guys away from other teams? How competitive is that? Yeah. So I don't know if this is a term in other sports, but we call it silly season. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, there are contracts, there's contract negotiations, there's contract extensions. Um, you could be technically a free agent looking for a ride. Um, Nowadays in NASCAR, the contracts are getting shorter and shorter. Um, like Brad Keselowski, who you may or may not know his name, really good driver. He's won a championship. Um, he signed a one-year deal, deal last year, not because he's old, not like Tom Brady who signed a one-year deal, but just because it's so competitive. Um, these owners want to see, okay, you got to go prove yourself. Now, guys like Kyle Busch, he'll be at Joe Gibbs Racing probably until he retires he'll probably sign a four, five, six-year deal. That makes sense. And then, like, on the lower tier, I imagine it's just trying to get someone to sign you on. Like, if you were kind of in the bottom one, like, what's your season-to-season -season, uh, overturn there in terms of, like, I mean, I named some guy 30th to 40th, whoever it is. Like, what's his, what's his off-season like? like? Is he trying to get another contract? Is he opening? Does he get sitting down? Or is he kind of staying where he is? Um, I think it depends. Um, some guys will stay in the lower series and lower or not the lower series, lower team for, you know, 10 years. Um, other ones will sign like a 12 race contract. Um, so once you get down past 25th, 30th, um, it's kind of hit or miss. You don't know there. I mean, there could be a guy there for, you know, 10 years. Like I said, there could be a guy there for one race. Yeah. You, you really don't know once it gets down there, it's kind of very top heavy. Um, and once you get down there, I, I hate to say it, but people kind of stop paying attention down there. Right. Yeah. Are you are you having to pay attention to any of that from a value perspective or do you, can you kind of cut it off at like 30 or so? Okay. So this is, and if Vegas here, I'm going to spill the beans, but if Vegas hears this, please do not change it. Just let me win my few hundred bucks a week. There is a matchup. Anthony Alfredo, and for anyone listening, feel free to take this, please, because it will be on my. Don't give away your secrets. You guys no. do money for this for good reason. <laughs> no, it, it will. Be. Anthony Alfredo versus Justin Haley. Take Alfredo every single time Vegas offers it. Justin Haley is like 19 years old, maybe 20. Um, he is in very bad equipment. 
Anthony Alfredo is the same age, maybe a little older, but he's got full sponsorship for the entire season. His car is light years better than Justin Haley, but Vegas just loves to put that matchup up on there. And I, and yeah, so the answer is yes. I do find value down there. Once you get past that, they're probably the 28th to 32nd range. Once you get past that, Vegas doesn't even offer anything. Here's a great final question. If you're one of those bottom guys, can you just go start a fight? Like, is that going to up your credit all with anything? Or is that just going to be a detriment to your career? Like some guys down there in the forties, could he just go sock Kyle Bush? Cause something happened. Uh, yeah, he definitely could do that. Um, he would get a lot of media attention, um, but it would not help him get a ride, not help him off the track. It would be the total opposite. It would be a detriment <laughs> to him and his professional career. But it could happen. Okay. I'm, I just didn't know if there's like a reality TV element to where like you got kids <laughs> up there like, I like what this guy has. He just socked one of my main dudes. Let's switch <laughs> dudes out. But that can't be the last question I ask. Who's your favorite driver and why? And I've been waiting for this question. Matt DiBenedetto. Uh, he's number 21 race for Wood Brothers Racing. Fun fact, they hold a Guinness World Record for the longest standing um, motorsport organization in the world. Um, he is kind of an underdog. Um, and I've, I, I used to be a Casey Kane fan. Um, he was okay. He won, he won a couple times. Um, uh, but Matt DiBenedetto has never won. Um, he's mid to late twenties. Um, and he's, he's labeled as the underdog. And, and if you follow my Twitter, you know, I bet on him every single week. I put a hundred bucks on him every week. Um, and actually a track like Talladega. I mean, he's, he's, he made the playoffs last year. So he's in the, you know, 12th to 16th range of a driver in funding. So there's definitely a chance for him to win. Um, but he is definitely a, a, a an underdog. Like last week I got him at plus 8,000, which was phenomenal value. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Dude, I appreciate it. I've kept you longer than I said I would. This was great. I have like 15 more questions, but you're going to have to come back on again if you're willing because uh, yeah, I've discovered the half of it. Maybe I'm going to start looking at the races throughout the summer. If you'll come on for some big races, I will uh, improve my NASCAR knowledge. I'm going to start watching and see how like less dumb I get, if that makes sense. Oh, but yeah, man. Good, man. This was awesome stuff. Yeah, for, for you and for anyone watching, um, if, if you're going to tune in, watch the Talladega race this weekend. It's going to be kick-ass. Um, and if I bring anybody to their first race, it'll be a Daytona and Talladega. Um, and I can guarantee you it won't be boring. Yeah, that was the worst way to end the podcast of all time. See, you think you've never done a podcast for? I still suck at this shit. What are you <laughs> looking for this weekend? Not even from a betting perspective. If the average fan watching this, what is what to look out for this weekend? Just from uh, um, just there's going to be a bunch of different lead changes. There's going to be a bunch of different guys up at the front. There's going to be underdogs up there. Gonna, there's going to be some big wrecks, which as a gambler, I don't really like to see, but it definitely adds to the excitement. Um, but tune in. It's Sunday, uh, maybe 2, 3 o'clock Eastern time. Um, then it's going to be it's gonna be fun. I'm going to be glued to my seat, and uh, I'm going to be listening to Matt on the radio. That is what we in the biz call a tease. That was the right way to end this thing. That was, just, that was such a bad ending question by me. Matt, I, uh, Mark, I appreciate this. This was great. I, I had so many more questions. We got to do this again sometime. I really enjoyed it, man. Yeah, man. Let's do it. I appreciate you having me on.
for sure. Check him out at Skybox NASCAR. If you listen to this podcast and you don't really want to go buy their picks, I have nothing for you. You should probably just turn around and kick yourself in the nuts. Go check them out at Skybox Sports Picks. Buy the NASCAR package. This was great stuff, man. We're going to do this again. Appreciate it. Hell yeah. I'm game anytime.